welcome to this week's episode, Tilly Home with Marina Barcinella. Uh, sorry about my husky voice. I had my brother's wedding and Wilderness Festival last weekend and four nights out on the trot has has kind of taken the best of me. Um, but anyway, it was an amazing weekend, so it was worth it. But yeah, my voice is not quite recovered yet. Marina is a multi-award-winning independent perfumer and a fragrance educator. She's been working for over two decades. She works as a natural fragrance specialist and a perfumer. She's also the nose between two niche perfume brands that she has, Marina Barcinella Parfums and Aroma Atom. She also creates fragrance for other British brands and has mentored a number of perfumers who have founded their own brands. Marina is also a planetary scientist and an astrobiology doctoral researcher. Her scientific research is currently the focus of research for life on Mars with the perseverance and Rosalind Franklin Mars rovers. Marina has managed to combine her two passions, fragrance and space, to create a science education programme that uses fragrance and the sense of smell to teach people about astronomy and space exploration called Aroma Atom, Discover the Smell of Space. Thank you so much, Marina, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So we are in your beautiful studio in Somerset, in Glastonbury, and... I thought it would be great to start with you telling us about how you became a perfumer because I know you didn't have a you know, traditional route in. No, I I didn't. I don't. I end up being a perfumer, uh, not by chance. I suppose it was just uh, the way things happened. I was always going to end up being here, but I never intended um, on being a perfumer. I never dreamt of being a perfumer when I was a kid. What happened is, as a child, I had a really weird obsession with smell. All sorts of smells, good and bad, unfortunately. I had to put my nose into anything and everything that I smell and smell it and dissect the smell and think about the smell. And the weirdest thing was that if something didn't have a smell, in my head something was wrong <laughs> so I had to I had to think about a smell for it if something didn't have a smell something was missing and in my head I'd start working out what it should smell like and I would invent a smell for it um, usually in my head just out of the things that I already knew as smells so this led on to you know enjoying perfume as and and fragrances and so not just the natural world, but just anything that smelled was interesting to me. As a teenager, I started buying all the different um, perfumes that you could buy in the shops, like cheap perfumes. I'm not talking about branded perfumes, just whatever was in the in the drugstore, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the yeah. pharmacy. Um, obviously, being from Spain as well, we have these big fiestas where you have lots of stalls on the streets and they would sell these cheapest, nasty oils that you can imagine but I would buy them all. And then I'd go to I'd go to my bedroom and start mixing them. And I'd like spray some of my perfume into a little pot and then spray another perfume and then put some of the nasty oils that I had bought and just come up with my own perfume. Not even knowing what a perfumer was, I never even thought about there are people who make perfumes. Yeah. There's just perfumes. So <laughs> that's the way it was for me until I was about 18 or something like that. When I I first heard about aromatherapy, 
but mostly in, in terms of candles, it was a fad uh, back in Spain. It wasn't like the proper aromatherapy. But that got me interested in, in the idea of smells having some form of effect or influence in our moods and the way we feel. And then I left Spain when I was 20. This was 1996 and came to the UK and I came as an au pair. And the mum who I was helping, she was really into aromatherapy. She had lots of books. So I started reading her books. I bought lots of essential oils. And I combined that with the curiosity that I had about smells coming back from childhood. I had a lot of books about ancient Egyptian fragrances and, and incense. I was quite interested in perfumes in the Bible. So I combined all this history of smells that I had uh, sort of compiled when I was in Spain with this newfound aromatherapy and started making my own smells. And I don't even call them perfumes, they were my own smells. <laughs> <laughs> From that, I started aromatherapy. I realised that I wasn't really that interested in aromatherapy. I was just interested in the smells that I was making with it, which happened to be very nice. Yeah. And then I found out more about perfumery as something that you actually do. Uh, there was... But I had no intention of going to a perfumery school. I just wanted to learn how to make perfume. So I got hold of copies of um, textbooks from universities about chemistry, um, just whatever was going about from perfumery schools. Occasionally I knew uh, somebody who maybe knew somebody that could get some papers out of somewhere and I would read them. And there were a few old perfumery books, you know, from a couple of centuries ago with old formulas. So I would try those at home as well. And I just started learning by myself, uh, trial and error, lots of error, (laughs) more errors, (laughs) more mistakes. And suddenly I started making things that were quite nice. And my friends started asking for them. Then somebody who knew somebody said, oh, can I have some of that? And within a few years, I was actually selling perfumes and fragrance cosmetics to people that I didn't know at all. I was making wedding perfumes. And at that point, I had done a lot of studies. So I had actually studied classic perfumery texts. I had studied um, how to use um, the more commercial aromachemicals that are used in perfumery schools. I had learned how to use essential oils and absolutes to make perfume. And slowly, I discovered my own style of doing things. I realized that I loved working with natural ingredients rather than synthetic ingredients. And I decided that I was going to focus on making natural perfume that smelled like perfume and not like aromatherapy blends. Mm. And I did that for years. I was okay at it. And eventually I decided I was going to leave my day job and make my evening and weekend second job or hobby my main job. And I started my own business in 2011 as a proper brand for the first time. Gosh, so that's 10 years ago now, isn't it? That is 10 years ago. So that was, it was about 15 years of of having it, either learning or playing on the side Mm. and, and creating perfume for people, but always as a side thing, never as my main job. And it's funny with the, um, someone asked me about natural fragrances and she said, I've got this, I've been given a natural fragrance, but will it last as long as a normal fragrance? And that's one of the big things about the naturals. How do you get them to have the impact? 
you can't. I mean, the, the, the natural perfumery is very different from the perfume that most people are used to. And you may read that something is natural, but in most cases it isn't. And it shouldn't be, you know, there's no reason why it should be. There is a war <laughs> between um, natural perfume and commercial perfume or synthetic perfume, which I don't like the the, the the word synthetic perfume is just ridiculous. You know, perfume is a blend of fragrance molecules that, you know, that, that make a nice smell and mm. they can be of natural origin or they can be made in a lab. And the end result is what's important. But there is a bit of dogma, I would say, on both sides of, of this war. Some people who are adamant about natural is best and, you know, anything that is synthetic is evil. And then there's also the the more commercially minded people who think everything natural is just dogmatic. I've been called all sorts of things for doing natural perfume. Um, and they think that people who are interested in natural perfumer in natural perfumery don't know anything about perfumery and they're just deluding themselves, telling themselves that they can create proper perfume without using the more modern molecules that are out there. And personally, this is just my opinion, I don't think either side is, is right. I think there is a happy medium. I personally create natural fragrance because I love the challenge of working with natural ingredients not because I have anything against the other type of perfumery, which I also practice. I have a second brand that is not natural and I create non-natural perfumes for other brands. And one of the challenges with natural ingredients and completely natural perfumes is that they don't smell like the perfumes we're used to. They do not last as long as the perfumes we're used to. And and you can't change them, you can't manipulate them in the same way that you would do with a, uh, a more sort of commercial perfume perfume with, with more synthetic ingredients. Natural ingredients have a volatility, they, they last what they last, and you can't change them. Mm. It's, that's the way it is. If you use citrus oils, they're not going to last on your skin and there's nothing you can do to them to make them last for hours. It's not going to happen and you have to accept that. That's one of the challenges. If you want a natural perfume and wear natural perfume, you have to accept that it's different from the commercial perfumes. It doesn't last for hours. It doesn't smell the same. And it is what it is. You just have to accept it. Yeah, and so that you have to think, right, well, I'm just going to take it with me and spray it a few more times a day. You spray it more often, absolutely. Yeah, that's really all it is. One so. of the things that I like about it is exactly that. I mean, I absolutely hate perfumes that last for days. I mean, I sometimes I've sprayed myself with something and I could not get rid of the smell. And after days, it's still on my clothes and I can't get rid of it. I hate it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I love about natural perfume is exactly that. That can change it. That after a few hours, I can move on to something else and I can wear a different perfume in the morning and in the afternoon. And if you, if I want to smell it again or I want it to be stronger, I just reapply it. And there's nothing wrong with that. What is it that's made the fragrance stick to you like that? I mean, like you can, it's left on your clothes. If someone walks out of the room, you can still smell it for ages. What is... What ingredient is that? So there's lots of different ingredients that have very low volatility, but most of what you usually smell for days afterwards are, are musk 
synthetic mask molecules, which are really large and they last for ages, mm. um, both on skin and on clothes. And they are made to last, you know, they, they are made to last. And we also have ingredients like this in in perfumery, in natural perfumery. We have um, natural ingredients that you put on a, smellish, a smelling strip, on a blotter, and they'll still be there weeks after. So we do have those ingredients, but they are not a huge amount and they have um, very earthy, dense, strong, raw smells. So it might not be the kind of smell that you want to be smelling for days. Yeah, It's not like a clean clothes smell. It's more like maybe damp earth or patchouli or, yeah. you know, some of the animalic smells that when there's nothing else to to make them more beautiful can actually be quite vile or yeah. <laughs> you know, not very nice. And with things like cleaning products and household products, I mean, that everything that we use has had a, a fragrance put to it. Would you say that some of them, are, if they're synthetic, obviously they are, are they toxic or are they non-toxic? Because that's the thing, everyone goes, oh, it needs to be natural because otherwise it's toxic. Okay, so this is something that, gosh, it's really hard to talk about it without making people sometimes feel a bit alienated because there's a lot of uh, of greenwashing and there's a lot of dogma that's wrong and mm. there are a lot of people who are into natural things mm. who think everything synthetic is toxic yes. and everything natural is absolutely fine and safe and nothing could be farther from the truth. So if you have a look at the ingredients that I have here and you have a um, just check the warning labels on some of the natural ingredients that you know very well, like orange oil. Mm -hmm. You will be scared to death of the warnings that you're going to find in there. It's so, so toxic. Yeah. It's um, really toxic. Yeah. But then look at some of the synthetic ingredients that I have, and there's hardly any warnings in there because they are not toxic. Yeah. Because they've been created in a way that eliminates that toxicity, mm. that eliminates the allergens, that eliminates the, the bad things that nature produces by its yeah. very nature. I mean, all these essential oils, all these allergens, they're things that plants produce to protect themselves from various things. Yeah. They're by no means safe and lovely and anybody can use them and not worry about it. Natural perfumery can be really risky. There is a lot of allergic reactions related to various natural ingredients that don't exist with synthetic ingredients. Now, when it comes to toxicity and things that are unsafe, you're not gonna find them in perfume because they're banned. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're just not allowed. So you're not gonna find the perfume, natural or synthetic, with things that are really toxic mm -hmm. because they are banned. And you are more likely to find toxic ingredients in an unregulated natural perfume from uh, somebody who's just learning at home and selling at a craft fair and hasn't had a safety assessment. And I know this is gonna ruffle a lot of feathers in the natural world, but it's the truth. And I say this from the point of view of a natural perfumer who knows natural ingredients inside out. They can be made safe, but they can be very unsafe. And it's the same with synthetics. Yes, that's so fascinating, isn't it? And actually good for people to understand. Say you don't like about a fragrance hanging around. It's actually, it's not that it's toxic. It's just 
it's a fragrance preference. I just don't like the smell. I yeah. just don't want that smell hanging around me. You might like the smell of something and I might hate it. Yeah. So something, you might love the smell of your fabric softener and you love smelling your jumper for a week, smelling fresh and lovely. I don't. I just yeah. don't like that smell and I don't want it hanging around in my clothes. With the essential oils, what do you love about them over using a synthetic version? Okay. So I, I love their smell. Yeah. <laughs> I just love... So I, as I say, I work with both ingredients and I feel very differently when I'm working with natural ingredients and with synthetic ingredients. I really enjoy working with naturals. I, I smell them, I blend them, and the smells make me happy. Mm. And this is completely subjective. I'm not saying they should make everybody happy, but they make me happy. They make me feel connected to my work connected to my ingredients i don't feel that with the majority of synthetic ingredients and i say the majority because there are a few of them that i absolutely adore the smell of and i love working with them but there's not many it's just a preference i don't get headaches when i work with synthetics uh, over naturals i get headaches when i work creating perfume because you know you get overloaded with the different smells and when I'm tired I get headaches I do get um, sometimes irritation and and I am sensitized I have an allergy to a couple of ingredients actually more than a couple the majority are naturals there's yes. no synthetics oh, there are a couple of synthetics that give me headaches yeah. and make me feel unwell but I think that's because I really dislike the smell of them yeah. and because they are very overpowering. Often if I work with a, in a ventilated room with the windows open or I have the, the big filter full on, I'm absolutely fine. But I feel I need to take breaks regularly because I've become sensitized to certain things and it can be hard work when you when you're, your body's fighting something yeah. that is making it feel unwell and you keep pushing it you're not doing yourself any favors and I am really bad at doing that. I push myself and I shouldn't and I should just say, enough, I stop here, I'm going to drink some water, <laughs> get some fresh air and go home and I don't and that's why I end up with headaches because I don't listen to my body, yeah. not because the ingredients are giving me headaches. Yeah, and and so with something like a Chanel fragrance, would and it has all the ingredients listed would they have some synthetics and some natural because they talk about the you know the lavender the fields at gra where they get the jasmines and the, yeah. the so would do they do a mixture do most perfumes have a mixture then of the so the majority of perfumes out there are not natural perfumes it's it's impossible there's only very few brands very niche brands like myself because it's simply not sustainable you cannot have sustainable large-scale natural perfume you would destroy the whole world in order to make perfume and mm. that's not right <laughs> yes. so with with the big brands with the commercial perfumes that produce millions of bottles of perfume so that millions of people can wear perfumes it's impossible to have a natural perfume and it's unethical yes. of them to do so what they can do in the case of the the more expensive brands they they not the more expensive brands that's not true um the, the better quality fragrances that you can get sometimes have um, some percentages of of natural ingredients you may have a small amount of natural jasmine or rose or lavender or any natural ingredient within their perfumes that is natural uh, 
um, the rest will not be natural, it may be completely synthetic or it may be nature identical, which means it's exactly the same molecules that you find in nature, but they haven't been extracted from a plant. They've been created in a lab by a scientist and kudos to them for doing such a great job. Yeah. That is the truth. And and the natural, just having that small amount of uh, jasmine actually will work very well with the synthetic jasmine. It so, will. And well, I'm well, asking you actually, I'm not no, no, it, that. No, no, but it will. <laughs> it, it, so the thing is, if you smell, and you know this because you, you're studying um, natural perfumery, if you smell jasmine absolute, yes. tell me, does that smell like like a jasmine flower to you? No. No. Because it doesn't. No. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. In order to create that jasmine flower smell, you're going to have to blend the jasmine absolute with other things to make it a more realistic jasmine note. And with naturals, that is very, very difficult. With synthetics, it's much easier. So if you try to recreate the smell of jasmine with synthetics alone, the chances are you're going to have something lacking. It's not going to be quite there. If you try to do that with natural salon, you're going to have a problem as well. It's only when you blend the two together and you get the best of both worlds Mm. that you can create the best jasmine note. And what you will find more and more these days is that small independent brands, like some of the perfumes I create for my non-natural brands, by blending both worlds is when you can get the most out of both of them. Yeah, and do you think that with the fragrance we were going to talk about how it sets off emotional memories and triggers, you know, triggers feelings. Do you think with the naturals and the synthetics you can get the same same feelings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it's not that you're smelling something natural that gives that that brings that memory. It's the smell of something. Yeah. So if your so what happens is our sense of smell is directly linked to a part of our brain that processes emotions and memories. So whether what you're smelling is natural or synthetic is completely irrelevant. Mm. What's important is the actual smell Mm. that's registered in your brain and that gets linked to that memory or to that emotion. And it's that smell that will trigger it when you smell it again. And that could easily be, uh, you know, the smell of your fabric softener or the smell of, uh, a lavender field or the smell of rose absolute it doesn't really matter it could be the smell of coffee and in fact it is I mean if you think about the the, the majority of smells that elicit a response in most people is always the same response things like fresh baked bread or coffee mm. it's not what produces the smell it's the smell itself that produces yeah. that reaction yeah it's funny for me it's like the smells of like wax jackets from when I was a kid <laughs> That, that like if I smell like an old barber, you know those kind of mm. or leather from the. Like, I used to do loads of riding on yeah. that, that or like a dog smell. Those kind of yeah, smells a dog time. smell or a or a baby. No, I mean, everybody talks about dog smells or baby smells. Yeah, I mean you can't pinpoint that smell on anything in particular. It's yeah. a mixture of different things. Yeah, and the particular dog or particular baby. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So actually, it's not a case of only needing synth- uh, natural fragrances to 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 stimulate your emotional senses no not at all no okay because that's what's lovely about fragrance is that it kind of uplifts you and it uplifts the room it kind of takes you back somewhere it reminds you of a childhood or a memory or a holiday or sometimes you smell sun cream you're like oh my god that reminds me of my holiday so much so so it doesn't actually the synthetics and the naturals is not 
it's not the be all and end all. No, it really isn't. But you just prefer to work with the naturals because you love the fullness I just, of them. I just love the way they smell. I yeah. and, and the other thing that I love about working with naturals is just the challenge of working with them. It's hard. Mm. It's hard to make naturals behave. Yes. <laughs> they, it's like they're <laughs> like wild children that you just can't tame. And and that's the challenge to create a fragrance that smells like a perfume and not like an aromatherapy oil yeah it's hard yeah and and to create certain types of fragrance it's really really hard with naturals so creating something fresh and uplifting and aromatic and green it's quite hard when you're working with naturals alone so the challenge is what i really enjoy but it's because i enjoy challenges you know yes. that's it yeah yeah, I love, I mean, I love the smell of all the natural fragrances. I just, I'm so used to them from working with you, I think. That but is kind of what I, what I associate exactly. with. Exactly, it's also what you're used to, isn't it? I mean, if you're used to very synthetic smelling perfumes, and there are some really synthetic smelling ones out there, but you like them, and you smell a natural fragrance, you go, ooh, what's this rubbish that you're giving me to yeah. smell? I hate this. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, if you're used to natural perfumes or you've been wearing them for years, like I have been doing, and you smell something that smells very synthetic, you go, oh, I really don't like that. It smells so synthetic to me. Yeah. But it's because it's a different experience altogether. It's like eating uh, Indian food or Italian food. You yeah. you can't compare them. You can't yeah. say that one is better than the other. Yeah. Is that what your preference yeah, it tells you it is be- is better. And um, with perfumery, when you're creating a perfume, you like they do. You have the base notes, the the top notes, and the middle notes. That's the wrong order, isn't it? <laughs> top, middle, and base notes, and all of your essential oils fall within those camps and with the synthetics as well. So, would you? Can you just describe that? It's really not as clear cut as that. No. Um, the top, middle, and base note thing is a way to explain the volatility of a perfume ingredient. So they talk about how quickly they evaporate, how how long the smell is going to last. Mm. With um, synthetic ingredients, with um, molecules, with natural isolates, which are simple molecules, they can easily fall into one category or another because they're quite linear, so they smell for this amount of time, the smell doesn't change, and then they're gone, and that's how long they last. With the majority of natural ingredients, that is never the case. Mm. So, for example, you will have you, you may have a citrus oil that you put on a smelling strip, and after 30 minutes, it's evaporated and there's nothing left. And so you would class that as a top note. But then you have something else that you put on a, on a mouillette, and... Overall, maybe it's there six hours later and then after six hours it disappears and you may want to say something like somewhere in the middle but quite long-lasting middle going towards the base. But if you think about the evolution of that ingredient from the moment you start smelling it, after 30 minutes the smell has changed. Mm-hmm. So what happens is within that middle note you also have top notes Yes. So those top notes, those opening notes disappear very quickly and and they give way to more long-lasting molecules that stay there for longer. When you go into what we call a base note, it's even more complicated because a base note may stay on a smelling strip for weeks. But the smell that you smell, the, the, the note that you smell after four weeks or two weeks is not the same that you could smell 
after half an hour uh, because that one disappeared and it's not the same that you can smell three hours later because those disappeared as well. So there is an evolution within each natural ingredient that is the result of very complex uh, chemical um, makeup. You know, mm. they are they are made up of lots of molecules. Each molecule has its own volatility. Some will evaporate after three minutes. Then another one will evaporate after 10 minutes. Then another one will last 15 minutes. Then another one will be again 15 minutes. And then another one, two hours. And then three hours, six hours, seven hours. So you can't say this is a top note. This is a middle note. This is a base note. You have to look at the evolution of that ingredient and understand what part of that ingredient fits into the opening of a perfume what part of that ingredient fits into the heart of a perfume and what part of that ingredient is actually part of the base of the perfume, what's really going to last. So you describe them more as opening heart and and, and in the and base, base. base is really what you're left with. So that's almost Absolutely. just the fragrance then, yeah. So yeah, so it's very important to get your base right because that's what you're left with. And yeah. if you don't like your base, doesn't matter how much you like your, your top notes or your middle yeah. notes. If you don't like what you're left with, then you might be a bit disappointed. But then you may want to change or you yeah. can respray it. So you smell yeah. those top notes and those middle notes again. Um, or you may just want to, you know, wear something else altogether. And is that the same with the um, with the synthetic or a more synthetic based fragrance that it would... Because they often say on the perfume, right, opening top notes of this to describe the fragrance. Say with a Galam fragrance, if it said top notes, would you expect to keep that smell throughout? Or is that meaning no. it's going to leave? No, it's going, it's going to, to leave. Be, yeah. If something appears in theory, mm. and, and I'm saying in theory because marketing is a field I'm not going to get into no. because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of... Um, Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, well, (laughs) but but you know, but it can be very helpful. Sometimes the pyramid might be helpful to somebody who knows nothing about the perfume, and they say, okay, so when I first spray it, I'm going to smell this bergamot and this lime and this orange, and then that's going to disappear, and I'm going to smell some rose. Yeah, I like some rose. So, and then when this disappears on the base, I'm going to smell some tonka and some patchouli. I like that, so I'll give it a try. Mm. Or you might see notes there you don't like and you decide not to try the perfume but the 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 fact that a pyramid in marketing material tells you that you're going to smell something doesn't mean that you're going to smell it Mm. um some things are very obvious some things are not obvious some things are very well blended with other things and a trained nose will Mm. tell you yes i can pick the tonka and i can pick the patchouli but your your average person that just wears perfume for their own enjoyment, not to dissect it, is not going to notice that difference. So pyramids are interesting and can be informative, but they can also be an obstacle to you actually understanding and enjoying the perfume. Again, that's just my opinion, and I'm sure that there will be a lot yeah. of people that disagree with me. Um, I think for me doing your the course, what's been really interesting is, under, is realizing that we don't have a lot of the things that we smell we just automatically kind of know what they are. There's not necessarily a big language for, for fragrance. And a lot of it is food related. So it's like, oh, that smells sweet or spicy. or, And so that's interesting. It's like s- smells are so kind of instinctive that we don't, there isn't a huge language. So what I'm finding with doing the course is that I'm learning how to describe fragrances that I haven't been trained to learn to smell. Yeah, the, describing fragrance is hard if you if you haven't studied and, and don't know what words to use. But we don't have a huge vocabulary um, associated with the, the sense of 
of smell, with olfaction. So there are certain words that, yes, they are very specific to perfumery and to fragrance and to smells, but there aren't many. It's not a rich vocabulary. A lot of the words that we use are the same words that we use, as you say, to describe food, like sweet, sour, bitter. You know, there are also a lot of words that we use to describe texture, like smooth, rough, sharp. Um, there's also a lot of musical language, like, you know, something might feel like a very high note. Yes. And um, we talk about accords all the time. So that we, we have got language from lots of different realms, if you if you want, that we, we use in perfumery. But we do also have our own words. It's just that they're not very often spoken outside of of, of perfumery so most people wouldn't know about them until they study it now if you're a perfume head and you love perfume you will know uh, words like indolic or animalic but most people who are not really into fragrance as you know perfume collectors or or interested in the makeup of fragrances they won't know what indolic mean and they won't know what animalic means mm. you need to say something like leather or white flowers and that might make more sense to them yeah and um because you obviously spanish is your well you're bilingual obviously yes are there, are there more words in spanish to describe so that, fragrance that's really interesting no um, so I teach my courses both in English and in Spanish. And quite often when I am translating all the course material into Spanish, I don't have words to describe certain things that we that we say in English. We have them in French. Yes. And in English, but not in Spanish. And what I have to do is to explain what something means and say this word is a new word that you don't use normally in Spanish. So people usually use the, the French or the, yes. or the English word, but and this is what it means. Mm. So you have to give an explanation of a concept rather than a word. Um, mm. When you're when I'm teaching in Spanish, that's something I have to do. Is that because the the French perfumery was the is that where it sort of started perfumery? So I mean, I shouldn't, I don't well, know I that. I don't. Obviously, the, the the French perfumery schools are the ones that have moved everything forward. So they have come up with, well, they haven't come up. They have developed mm. the language and they keep developing it. So I presume I don't I, I don't know. I'm not an expert in in this field, but I I'm guessing that we we have taken those words and translated them into yeah. English. But it's like with any language, things can never be translated literally. Yeah. Each language has. Uh, richness in some areas and perhaps lacks in other areas so in my experience I find that the Spanish language is not as rich when it comes to describing fragrance as the English language yeah okay in other ways it's the other way around in 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 other areas yeah so your your students are getting a bit of English language teaching as well (laughs) yeah absolutely so what's happened recently obviously with a lot of people getting COVID which is so awful is this a loss of smell so the the word for you know losing your sense of smell is anosmia and this is a word that most people didn't even know existed mm-hmm. until very recently uh, because it wasn't it's, it's not a very common disease it's not something that many people suffer that is spoken about it's not a glamorous mm-hmm. uh, fashionable disease mm-hmm. it's not something that that you know, that people see as something very serious, which it is, mm. but it's not spoken about. And with COVID, as you say, uh, one of the awful side effects and, and, and you know, long-term 
symptoms is is the lack of is, is losing your sense of smell some people recover it um, some people don't and as well as anosmia there are uh, a few other things that around the sort of problems with the sense of smell so you might not completely lose your sense of smell and have anosmia but you may have something else like phantosmia which is when you smell things that you know aren't there oh, or yeah. there's something called cacosmia when what you smell is literally feces it's, it's excrement it's everything you smell it smells like poo literally oh and and that can imagine how disturbing yeah. that must be if that's all you can smell yeah. so there's there's various sides yeah. to it and and now we're starting to to hear more about them in my in, in the perfumery courses I'm teaching at the moment, I actually have some people who have lost their sense of smell because of COVID and started training with me to, to retrain their sense of smell. So there are cases where you can retrain your sense of mm-hmm. smell. There are a few anosmia organizations in various countries. The French one is really, really active. And they, there's a lot of um, information out there. There's also... Uh, a few a few blogs or like Instagram accounts of people with anosmia that are talking about the problem, making it more every day. Yeah. And um and and there are also training exercises that are recommended for people with anosmia so they can hopefully retrain, recover the sense of smell. And they use essential oils. Yeah, I I noticed that. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. they use essential oils. And um, I, aside from my students, I have two friends who have ended up like this, unfortunately. From COVID? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually preparing um, essential oil kits for them to to take back to Spain when I go back next month so I can give them to them as a gift. Because, I mean, they do say that it can just take quite a long time, but it can come back, say, maybe yeah. after eight months or, you know, or it, it occasionally it years. doesn't. But it could it, yeah. be years, um, but, you know, it could be permanent. Yeah. So It's amazing, though, how much we rely on our smell for... Because I was reading, they were saying, you know, the problem is, is if, if there's a gas leak or if something's off, you don't... I mean, those yeah. are the sort of danger things, but, like... When you smell in some way, I think in some countries the word for kiss is actually smell. And so actually when you go to kiss someone, you know, one of your loved ones, it's, you're kind of getting their smell as yeah. well, aren't you? So that's very interesting. I have a, a friend um, in Spain, his name is Ernesto Collado, and he has a perfume brand called Brava Nariz. And he he developed anosmia uh, a while ago. And he's spoken publicly about this. And... Uh, one of the things that I remember very clearly him saying is how distressing it was when he couldn't smell his wife. Mm. You know, the smell of his wife's skin, you know, you, you not being able to smell your children. Yeah. Uh, never mind food and everything else, but it's just that intimate connection we have with the smell of, of the people we, we are with, or yeah. wives, or husbands, or children, or families. That's really, really distressing. And funnily enough as well, he talks about how he... He started uh, recovering and retraining his sense of smell by smelling the landscape around him, which is what his brand is actually about. And I think he said the first thing he smelled was rosemary. Yeah. And that kind of got him on the path of smelling other herbs and and retrain his sense of smell that way. Yeah. 
I know we're it's very lucky, isn't it? It's not something you want to. I I mean, my, I just remember thinking when the whole COVID thing is like, oh my god, it's like you're scared you're gonna get it. Yeah. And you know, it could be serious, and something could happen to you. And then I thought, and I could lose my sense of smell. What am I gonna do? I, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's really quite scary. Yeah. But not as a perfumer, as a human being, because I'm aware of how important. Yeah. The sense of smell is to everyday life. Yeah. Most people aren't aware of how important it is, but I am. Yeah. No, I think I because I remember watching the documentary about Michael Hutchins from In Excess, who I have a massive crush on. Yeah, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It was like a god. I know. I know. <laughs> and then obviously he had like a real sadness at the end of yeah. his life. But actually, in the documentary, you realise that he he fell he fell over and banged. He yeah. severed his olfactory nerve and so that made him go into this very sort of dark more dark kind of sadder place but because he he lost touch with it so much because of that it's also um i mean if you think about our sense of taste you know when we eat food Mm. i think it's about 80 percent of it is is smell smell so if you can't smell you can't taste yeah like suddenly your food doesn't taste of anything or it all tastes the same or it tastes wrong and you lose interest in food and, yeah. and so your nutrition goes out the window and your interest in life can go out the window devastating there's so yeah. many different facets to it there's so many problems that can be attached to the, the lack yeah. of uh, a sense of smell yeah. it's not just the smelling part it's, it's so many more yeah uh, all the bits and pieces yeah. that together makes us who we are as human beings and the way we behave very often is because of things that we can smell i mean yeah. When you smell, like, the, what's the first thing you do when you open the milk? You get it out of the fridge. You smell it, or you know, I'm I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat meat. But I assume that people who eat meat and fish, they will smell the meat and fish to make sure that it hasn't yeah. gone off. Yeah, exactly. When you like bite into a juicy peach or something, you're like, yeah, and you smell. smell it. Oh, or when you go to the Mediterranean. For me, it's always when you go into the like, you know, when from going from England and you in that Mediterranean climate, the smells. The sm- just, yeah, oh. you smell the seaside, mm. and you know, and, and suddenly imagine going to the beach and not being able to smell yeah. that sea breeze yeah. and the saltiness of the air i know we take yeah we have take to look after granted. it <laughs> yeah and also i just wanted to ask you about your science projects <laughs> because from someone who didn't do science gcse's let alone a levels no i i you're doing some amazing stuff i had a horrendous phobia of anything scientific until my mid 30 so i'm i'm not 46 so in school, I was really bad at anything science. I I just I was I was hopeless. Anything, chemistry, math, physics. I was just hopeless, and I was also told that I was very useless at it, and I should just forget about it. And I think eventually, after um, what I say, what, what do you say when you when you have to do the same exam several times? Um, <laughs> Six times I had to do yeah. one of my oh, math so you exams. Could redo, so it you took me three to years. Re- to, yeah, exactly. So I think eventually they allowed me to just pass the exam with the bare minimum because they just felt so sorry for me and they just knew it's never going to happen. And I had literally memorized the physics books and the chemistry and the maths. I had memorized them. I could recite them and write them in a paper. I could not make any sense of it. So I think they just felt sorry for me and they said, she's never going to do any science. She's going to go straight into ancient languages, which is what she likes, and history. So let's just let her get on with her education. So I did. Um, But in my mid-30s, I became very interested in in the environment. 
I've always been very ecologically minded. And so I decided that I wanted to understand climate change better and that I wanted to study environmental science. And in order to do this, I decided to take a course with the Open University where I got up to about A level um, grade in all the different scientific disciplines. So I remember thinking, I'm never going to do this. It's just never going to happen. I'm never going to pass the, the, the part where I do maths or the physics. It's going to be so hard. But I was in my mid thirties and I thought, I oh, screw it. I don't care. There's nobody to tell me I'm stupid. Mm. I'm doing it for myself. If I don't do it, I don't do it, but I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even have to try that hard. Suddenly things made sense. I could do the maths, I could do the physics and the chemistry. And not only could I do it, it wasn't hard. Mm. So part of what I was studying was um, cosmology and astronomy, which I also loved from a kind of non-scientific point of view, just from an interest in, in looking at the stars and so on. And I remember thinking, what I really, really want to study is I want to study planetary science and astronomy and, and astrobiology. I want to know about about the how the universe uh, is made, how, how the solar system formed, how, you know, it's possible that life even exists in our planet. I thought, this is really stupid. But I spoke to my tutor and he said, why not? You can do this. And I said, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, yeah, Is that you from your own this. open university course? Yeah. Yeah, yeah wow, yeah. okay. So I, I started uh, looking at those sort of, studies and then I got very sick and I had to stop and just focus on my health and all this is while I was opening my own business and trying to make a living out of making perfume but anyway I got better and at 40 years old I decided I was well enough to go back to studying and I decided I wanted to go to you know actual classes at a university so I enrolled in a full-time astronomy and planetary science degree and I went to evening classes four days a week and in three years I got my degree and from there I went into enrolling into a PhD I got a studentship and I'm in the middle of doing a, a PhD at the moment but while I was studying the makeup and the chemistry of Jupiter and Mars and different missions that have told us how we have found out what the universe is made of in terms of chemical molecules and elements. Obviously, I'm a perfumer, and in my head, the two worlds sort of collapsed. And I remember thinking when I was reading about the chemistry, about astrochemistry, we call it, so I have that molecule in a bottle in my perfume studio. It's like, I can make that molecule if I put this and this together in my studio. And it's like, like when I was a kid and something didn't have a smell, I had to imagine what it smelled yeah. like. It's like, I wonder what that smells like. Yeah. <laughs> so I came here, where we are right now, and I started making the smells of space. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and so um, in 2017, this is when I was in my in the second year of my degree, I decided I was going to create a science outreach project that wasn't scientific that wasn't for the scientists that was for people who like me had felt completely alienated from science all their lives and they needed a more creative way into science not because they want to be scientists but because there's so much out there to learn and it's fascinating Mm. and if you only knew how fascinating it is you'd want to know it 
But the way science is explained to us is like, I want to know about that. So I thought I'm going to give them a way that is going to make them want to know about it. And because perfumery is my thing, I created an olfactory tour of space that's called Aromatum, the smell of space. And it takes you on a smelling journey Mm -hmm. through the solar system and into the center of the Milky Way. And while they smell things and molecules that exist in space, um, and they smell things that uh, resemble the kind of smells that we might expect on the surface of Mars, for example, if we could breathe there, I explain why it would smell that way. Mm. I I explain how we know, what mission told us about it and how we have found out about all these things. So at the end of it, they've done so much smelling of weird smells that made them ask lots lots of questions and they've come out knowing about, you know, some people don't even know the names of the planets in the solar system. So they suddenly know what the planets are and they know that that some planets have more than 60 moons and they learn that some of the moons in the outer solar system are made of ice, others have oceans, others have volcanoes. Yeah. It's a nice way to enter into yes, space. But it's Your not nose science. is in space. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but you're not learning hard science going, oh my God, this yeah. is so hard, I can never get my head around it. You don't need to study science to be fascinated by the wonders yeah. of, of space. I mean... Brian Cox did these two series, Wonders of the Universe and Wonders of the Solar System. And you don't need to be a science to appreciate those wonders. Yeah. They, it is wonderful. It's incredible. It's, it's amazing. And the thing is, the, the same things that you find in space, you find on Earth. We They're here because they've been made from the same thing as all the other planets. Mm. And I, sorry, you can probably hear it in my voice. <laughs> I get really excited about it. So I just wanted people to know that science doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be difficult and you don't have to be a scientist to know things and to enjoy things. And so that's what Aromatum is about. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was in the, I think it was the 6th of December, 2017 that it launched. Properly. Yeah, and, and, and you've been going into schools and yeah. talking to kids so, about it, which yeah. is great. So well. the pandemic obviously has put a stop to, to everything, but prior to that, I'd go into schools with the smells and mm. let children smell it. Uh, but I also... Um, did activities for adults. So I've done some talks for adults where the adults smell things. Mm. I mean, depending on how old you are, you're going to ask different questions and learn different things. Um, I have also done the activities at museums. So I've been at the Science Museum in London, at the Natural History Museum. Um, I did some of the activities at the International um, Lunar and Planetary Science in Houston, um, did you? Yeah, wow, yeah. So amazing. I did some outreach activities. They asked me to do them, and I I did it there. Yeah. And uh, and then a year later, the museum in Houston was running an activity, which is basically what I had done the year before during the conference. Yeah. Um, I've gone to the Blue Dot Festival with New Scientist magazine and and done the whole thing there as well for the public. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Everybody learns and everybody has a laugh. Yeah. So it's no boring. It's yeah. just fun. Yeah, and maybe some of the kids that you you teach might think about doing science because they hadn't they haven't looked at it like that way i think yes. that's the thing isn't it it's, can be a bit boringly and intimidating sometimes. it's, it's yeah. not just boring but it's intimidating it's like that's too hard for yeah. me i could never do that i would have never imagined in my 
oh my gosh, if you told me when I was 20 that I'd be doing a PhD in astrobiology, researching the search for life on Mars, I'd be like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But I am. Yeah, it's great. It's a brilliant story. I just wish I'd done it earlier. I just wish somebody when I was younger would have given me an introduction into this wonderful world so I wouldn't have to wait until I was in my 40s to do it. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. If you'd you'd met you at school, you might have gone, oh, the smell, I hadn't thought of that. That is interesting for me, yeah. And now I have both things. I've got my perfume and my my space stuff. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have have done the perfumery and we do need your perfumery, so (laughs) that's... But that's selfishly. I'm glad it's happened this way around. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Marina. That was amazing. And thank I'm you. going to put all the information that you've talked about on the show notes. And so anybody, they can find your websites and your courses. And hopefully some schools might find your programs as well. That would be nice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Yay. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please take a moment to rate or review the show and also share it with anyone that you think might enjoy it. You can follow me on Instagram at Tilly at Home With or email me tillyathomewith at gmail.com.